Let me know, Cheryl, when you're ready. All right, guys, we're going to continue with our worship service this morning. We're going to continue through the book of Romans, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 through 32. Then I'm going to ask you some pretty challenging questions this morning, because my goal is to, again, have you engaging the biblical text. So I'm going to ask you to follow along. So on the overhead, if you have a personal Bible, Romans 1.18, you're going to notice quickly that this is a portion of Scripture that really is going to hit home to a lot of people. Um, And again, my job is just to not judge, just preach what the text says. So please follow along with me. Starting at verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed, or being continually revealed, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Look at verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile or foolish in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible men and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. The result, verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Here's where it gets Really, really tough. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason. Everything that we caught up to that part. For this reason. God gave them over to degrading passions. The woman exchanged the natural function of a woman for that which is unnatural. In the same way, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own bodies the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, here it is a second time, God gave them over to a depraved mind to to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, 
unmerciful. And all they, they know the ordinance of God. That those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same thing, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. And if there was ever a day or time, you can see this is happening today. doesn't take a rocket science to see that. So let me ask you some challenging questions. These are going to be tough questions, but I want to ask you because I think they're important. Are we authentic believers in Jesus Christ? Or is our attachment to Jesus just superficial? Here's another tough one. Do we have an empty testimony, meaning we know about Jesus but we really don't know them intimately. Do we, church, do we just give the appearance of being a genuine disciple or have we gotten really good at just blending in well? It's getting quiet now, Dr. Carter. Uh, Dr. Steve Lawson in one of his books asked those questions and they're tough questions, but they need to be asked today. I was thinking about Judas, Judas Iscariot. It was a sobering thought that made me feel very uneasy. Why? And you'll see how I'm going to blend this right into Romans. You know, here's a dude that lived with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. Sat under Jesus' teaching and ministry. He saw firsthand these incredible miracles and this integrity. He was an eyewitness to all of this. In fact, his fellow disciples respected him so much, they actually made him treasurer of the finances. But through all that, church, we learned that he was just a counterfeit disciple. He became a master at acting very religious, knowing what to say, religious things to say in church, so to speak. But as we learn from Scripture, he never committed his life to Christ. He never died to self. I don't know about you, but that's a scaring and sobering reality. And these are some questions this morning as we go into the text that we should be asking ourselves. Is, 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 is this what's been said this morning? Is it true about us? Are we just good at acting religious? That ain't going to get you into glory. Does this describe any of us, you listening around the world? Could you and I be self-deceived about where we stand with Jesus? Now, as we dig into Romans this morning, let's be soberingly honest with the Lord about this. Slide six. Now, as we take a moment to review what I taught last week, I don't know why, but I was read, just led to reflect on Matthew 27, 46. Here's Jesus. It's about the ninth hour. He's crying out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken or deserted me? Church, I must confess that, you know, I never really looked at this verse before as I really do now. It was, it was God's punishment of sin. Jesus at that moment was experiencing the full weight and wrath of of his father against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men and women. And we need to realize something important here. 
before you and I can really see the love of God for us in the cross, we need to see God's wrath and hatred of sin. It's not preached very much anymore. But do we live in such a way that we really believe that God hates sin? Do we live out that? How else can we really understand his incredible love for us if we don't clearly see God's hatred of sin? We've learned that it is Christ alone and only Christ alone who can make you and I right with God the Father. And we've learned from verse 17 how God was continually unveiling his righteousness. And then we, last week, got into verse 18, where God is continually unveiling his wrath against sin. Put up verse 7, or slide 7. For the wrath of God is continually being revealed from heaven. Against what? Against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. So we had asked the question, how has God been revealing his wrath against sin? And last week we started to look at that and we, slide eight, see that one of the ways that God reveals his wrath against sin is in our conscience. The word in Latin for conscience, the word con means with science, knowledge. So the word conscience means not with knowledge. Paul, writing back in, in uh, we'll see this later on in Romans 2, says, in that they show the work of the law literally inscribed in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. How's your thought life been? How about the secret thoughts? Church, we've clearly have learned that God is the one who has given each person a sense of right and wrong. Think with me this morning. Why, when we sin, do we have this inner sense of knowing that we've really done something wrong? We've done something that we know we really shouldn't have done. Why does that make us unhappy and uncomfortable? This is the activity of the conscience that God has placed in each of us. It's part of God's wrath being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. But how else is God's wrath being revealed? Well, God's wrath is also being revealed in physical sickness. There are certain types of physical consequences for sin. We cannot violate the laws of health and get away with it because sooner or later we end up paying for it physically. Whether we get enslaved in drug use or alcohol use or overeating, you know, sooner or later there are physical consequences for sin. Slide nine. Where does it say that in the Bible, Pastor Jack? I'm so glad you asked. How about Proverbs chapter 23, verse 21? What does Solomon write? For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come what? Poverty. What is drug use and alcoholism? Uh, sooner or later, poverty. And drowsiness will clothe the one with rags. And then Philippians 3.19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. 
church, God has ordained that there will be consequences for sin. Because man's sin, there are painful consequences that have appeared. Illness is part of that. It's part of the uh, consequences of sin. And then we also, slide 10, see another consequence where it's being revealed in creation itself. <clears throat> Going back to Genesis 3, 17 and 18. God speaks to Adam. He says, Adam, remember, remember in the previous chapter, Adam was taught that if you eat the fruit, you're going to die. So God warned him before it happened. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you've eaten from the tree about which I command you, saying, you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall grow for you. You will eat the plants of the field. Again, part of God's wrath being revealed against sin. And then, of course, we see it revealed in death. One of the most obvious ways it is appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. Please understand, I said it last week, you don't die, then you go to some special place where you get to do it all over again and make things right. Sin generates consequences. It's appointed once for a man to die, then the judgment. Genesis, slide 11, Genesis 2.17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And then one final way that God's wrath has been revealed was at Calvary. God's wrath and anger being poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Church, we need to understand this. Holy God's anger towards sin demanded the death of of his only unique son, the monogamous, the unique one. Understand this. There's no angel or human being that could ever do what Jesus the Christ did for us. Don't believe the lie that he was Michael the archangel. Don't believe any of the garbage. He is the only unique son of God, Jesus Christ, that has always existed with the Father from all eternity past. Think about it. God provided for you and I the very righteousness that he has demanded from you and I through his son, Jesus Christ. And it is God's hatred of sin that his only son came into the world to bear that wrath of his father against sin. And as I shared with you last week, Jesus imputed his righteousness into your account and took the wrath of his father upon himself. That's what we call the great exchange. So what does this mean? God made a way whereby his wrath and anger could express itself against sin, and yet you and I, the sinner, would not be destroyed, but think about it. Instead, we are made right because Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserved. Some people, and I've heard this so many times in the 20 years of ministry, well, Pastor Jack, why do so many people get away with sin and nothing seems to ever go wrong for them? Sure, none of you ever said that. 
look at so-and-so over there. They're living like the devil, and they got this, and they got that, and they got this, and they got that. Think about it. People, they laughed at Noah. Man, they ridiculed Noah mercilessly. And he preached for 120 years. I'm tired after 20. He preached 120 years. But what happened? They all thought that they were going to win and have all the trinkets, but they all died. Let, let, let me be clear this morning. God's punishment of sin doesn't just stop the planet Earth here. It's eternal. If you die without Christ, it's eternal. The president can't write a pardon and say, you know, we're going to, Jesus, re release him now. doesn't work that way. The Bible never teaches us that when we die, there's another chance or another opportunity. Don't be misled. doesn't teach it. When you die, if you die without Christ in your sins, please understand this this morning. Please hear me. Please. It is an everlasting suffering and punishment. That's why I asked you those questions at the beginning of this message. Those who die in their sins, all that's going to follow them. Slide 12. Remember, we just read Romans 2, 15 and 16. Their conscience bearing witness. Their thoughts will alternately accuse or defend them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the what? The secrets of men. You can keep your sins secret from others, but you can never keep your sins secret from the Lord. Ever. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. <clears throat> Here it is, just right there. God is going to bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. Corollary scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.10. We will all must appear before the beam of seat of Christ to give an account of the deeds we did in our body, whether good or bad, while we were here like we are right now. That's slide 13. Look at it. We must all appear before that judgment seat of Christ. So there's a judgment coming. Each one of us will be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds in his body according to whether what he did, whether good or evil. So, to answer their question, no one ever gets over on God. No one. This is why, church, the gospel is so very important. I believe that this is why Paul wants to preach it to every soul he sees. If you believe what the scriptures are teaching you this morning. How about you? Here's a really important question. Do you have the courage and enough love for God that you are willing to share it with others? Clearly, somebody loved you enough or you would not be here. Think about it. What a wonderful thing it is to do for those who are saved is to share that EU on that good news with other people. You all know that someday you're going to drop dead and the people you know are going to drop dead. Think about it. Even though you and I are these hell-deserving sinners who have no claim on God or His love and compassion, even though we were enemies of the Father and the cross, yet through all of that the Father sends His only Son to die in your place and my place for our sins so that you and I can be reconciled meaning we can be brought into a correct or right relationship with the Father so that we can then have eternal life and joy with Him forever. Slide 14. 
do this one more time. I'm going to review a little snippet of last week. Take a look. For the wrath of God has been revealed. That's the uh, apocalypto. The wrath of God has been revealed from where? From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now last week I defined some terms because I want you to understand what did God, speaking through Paul, want us to understand when he uses the word ungodliness and unrighteousness. What are the working definitions for those words from the original text? So that we know when we're reading it, we're not just glossing over it, but we know what it means. Slide 15. That word ungodliness, esibe, means what? When he says the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness, he's talking about immoral behavior, profane behavior, wicked behavior. It carries with it this idea of total defiance towards God and a desire for evil things. We need to ask ourselves, what are the evil things that we are desiring that God says thou shalt not? How does total defiance in my life and your life show up against God? Well, we want things our own way and we put them on trial. See, the word ungodly says the idea of we're living an ungodly life. We have no respect for God. We have no respect for his law. Paul rivets that together with the word unrighteousness, slide 16. A decay. What does that word mean? It means that which does not conform to justice. Evil doing. Morally wrong behavior. Illegal behavior. Shameful behavior. Is there any illegal behavior going on in your life right now? Or shameful behavior? He and then he says, of men who suppress kateko. They're forcing back the truth. They're holding down the truth. They don't want to hear what God has to say, so they're suppressing it. They're forcing it back. No, God, I'm going to do things my way. I have no respect for you and your law. I'm going to do things that I'm not supposed to be doing. That's the kateko. So then the wrath of God is revealed against this sinful behavior and this sinful way of life. Sin is inexcusable. It is a violation of God's law. It is appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How about slide 17? Here's Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy, in the last days, Timothy, this is what's going to be happening. Now, I want you to look at this and ask yourself, how much of that is today? Men will be lovers of self. They will be lovers of money. Money, 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 money. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutals, haters of good, treacherous, Reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They hold to a form of godliness, 
but they deny its power. Paul says, Timothy, listen. Avoid such men as these. Guys, be careful who you invest your time in. Be very careful. It's very easy for people that you care about that aren't living for God to want to steer you, even so innocently, hey, let, you know, God's not going to mind if you do this once in a while or that. No. What is Paul t- trying to teach Timothy here? He, says, you know, he wants Timothy to understand that there are people who may have some interest in God. Maybe they've prayed. But their entire way of living their life, the way they live out each day, is denying God because there is no real relationship with Him. They have a form of godliness. They can even show up to church and be all churchy on Sunday. But they deny its power. How do we deny the power? Now, what do you think about Romans 6 for a minute? The very same exact power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the exact 110% same power given to every believer to walk in a new way of life that brings glory and honor to God. Okay? When God saves you, he doesn't fill you about two quarts low. You get all the Holy Spirit you will ever have. In fact, the word oikion means he's indwelling you. He lives inside of you. You're carrying him with you wherever you go. So start thinking about the places you go. Are there places that you really should not be going? Are there things that you really should not be participating in that you're bringing the Holy Spirit with you? You're denying his power because he gives you the power to say no to that. And here's another thing. Somebody wants to cause you to sin. You have the power to say no. He gave you the power to say no. No, I am not going to, I'm not going to go down there with that drug dealer. I'm not going to go to that bar. I'm not going to sleep with that person I'm not married with. I'm not going to insult that woman by doing that. No. But what does he say? What did Jesus say in Mark 20, verse 30, slide 18? Believer, you shall love, agape toy, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Not a portion of it. Not you have all these compartments in your heart. God, I'm going to give you this, but these other ones are for my own personal thing. With all your heart, with all your suke, your soul, with all your mind. That means getting in the Bible, not 17,000 hours a week on television. And with all your strength, Lord, use me, let me serve you so I can put you on full display in the lives of the people that you want me to love and show to you. Jesus is quoting what was taught in the Old Testament. In fact, you'll find that command there. It's in the old, it's in the do. Where's that at? Okay, slide 19. How about Deuteronomy chapter 6? The great Shema. Starts out with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. So that you and your sons and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. There's not, there's no day off from living for God. That your days may be prolonged. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall, oh, there it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your strength. These words, slide 20, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. What do we do with these words that you command us to have on our heart, Lord? Oh, verse 7. Teach them diligently to your sons. Talk of them when you're sitting down in your house, when you're walking by the way. He's talking about your way of life. When you're laying down, when you're rising up. There is what God demands from us, church. <clears throat> I'm just preaching what the text says. There it is. When we fail to live this way, we're ungodly. We're right there in, Rome, in uh, Romans 1.18. We're ungodly. We are to desire God with our whole heart and being. Ask yourself, why don't I do that? We are to live for His glory. Why am I not doing that? What's getting in the way? What's hijacking my heart? Slide 21. What did Jesus say? He, he modeled it for us. He says, Father, I glorified you on earth. I've accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Wouldn't that be awesome? If that could be said about you and I? Jesus, I, I accomplished the work that you wanted me to do. The work you gave me to do, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? You see, Jesus didn't come to earth to do his own will. He came to do the will of his Father. Think about it. What is the chief and highest end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, church. Slide 21. Paul writing much later, and we'll get to it, in Romans 11, verse 36. For from him, through him, to him, are all things. To him be the glory forever. So you and I were created to bring glory and honor to God. The Lord has made it perfectly clear in his word. So as long as our relationship with God is right, our conduct is going to remain right. Hear me this morning. There is no greater sin or folly than to actually think that you and I are fit to stand in the presence of God without being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is no act, I've said it before, where you can make yourself right with God on your own. It's just not, it can't be done. Well, where does it say that? Oh, okay, slide 22, Romans 3.10. There is none righteous, not even one. How many people will come to their churches each week because maybe they like to worship or some of the teaching, but sadly they have no desire or thirst for Christ. Think about it. Do you and I have a genuine joy in our heart? There's an acid test to ask yourself whether you really know him or love him or not. Do you have a joy in your heart knowing the very God that knit you in your mother's womb? Okay, you might ask, well, Pastor Jack, what does that joy feel like? Because everything today is about feelings. Oh, I feel this way or I feel that way. Sometimes your feelings can get you into trouble. The only standard is God's Word, church. I believe that joy comes from realizing 
the holiness of God and the true depth of our sin and Christ coming down from heaven and completely giving himself up for you and me, taking the Father's wrath for you and me. Church, when you and I can begin to grasp that, then we can begin to rejoice in that fact because that is the truth. The question I want to ask you this morning is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal Son of God? Do you believe that he died on that cross to pay your sin debt in full so when you drop dead, you end up in glory, not because you deserve it, not because you had a way of making yourself right with the Lord, but because he loved you so much that he died in your place? And if you believe that, are you honoring him with your life? When you wake up in the morning, do you say, Lord, what can I do to honor you today? How can I show people that you love them today? Then you can start to experience that joy. There's nothing better. Let's look at verses 19 and 20, slide 23. Paul continuing. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, remember, if something's invisible, you can't see it, right? It's invisible. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Jack. How can something that's invisible be clearly seen? Being understood. How? Through what has been made. So that they, I think the King James says, men are without excuse. So we've been talking about the character of sin talking about how that's been revealed in our lives. Paul speaks here of the fact that, listen, there's no excuse. That means that no human being on planet Earth can plead ignorance. There's no plea that you and I can make. There's no excuse. Paul has already spoken about those who suppress or hold down or restrain the truth. Oh, we came from the Big Bang theory. You were an amoeba that slithered out of a pond, the theory of evolution and all this other nonsense. So Paul makes it clear that for someone to suppress something, they have had to already have known about it. Mm. So it's important to clarify here that Paul now, again, what Paul's talking about is what we call general revelation. He's talking about the sun, moon, stars, the earth, all the things on it, plants, shrubs, animals. He's not talking about salvation at this point. He's trying to say, listen, and he's, again, he's writing to this church in Rome, mankind's been given this general knowledge of God. So mankind cannot plead ignorance and use that as a license to restrain the truth so they continue to live the way they wanted to. He says, because that which is known about God, look what the text says is evident within them. God made it evident to them. So there is a sense of God planted in every human being. You will never find a person who does not in some way have a sense 
of God, a sense of God within them. They can say, I'm an atheist and I don't believe and I'm an agnostic, but it's very interesting. I remember a story of a college student and he was in class with one of his professors and the college student, the professor was trying to disprove God, you know, he's an atheist and, you know, he believes in evolution and all this stuff and um, they went away for the holiday and they ended up at the same hotel and the student, without realizing, ended up in the room right next to the professor. And the professor, I don't know what happened to him, but he got very sick and he was dying. And this professor that was an atheist, and I don't believe God, and eh, it's nonsense and all this other nonsense, was crying out, God help me, God help me. That's the truth, church. God has planted evidence of himself and every human being, because we are image bearers of the Lord. I want to define a couple more terms here, because I know you love that so much. How about slide 24? The word known, gnostos. As that word known is used here in the text, it really carries with it the idea of something that is capable to be known and understood. He also uses the word evident. What's really interesting is how Paul uses words. Paul actually, here on slide 24, actually gives us two different slight variations of the same Greek word. Okay? So he says, that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. <clears throat> so the first word has the idea of causing something to appear. God made this to appear within them. The second word, instead of phaneros, it's phaneru, means to take the lid off, to uncover something. And that carries with it this idea of some divine revelation. So how do we rivet that together? How do we put that together so we can understand this text? It seems that Paul is teaching us here that God is knowable or known in the power of his creation. It is one of the ways that God has revealed himself to all of mankind. God can be known by man because of his power in creation. Because God has created each one of us, there's also a deep sense in each of us in our consciences of God. And we already said God has placed a conscience in us so we can understand right and wrong. So everything has been made known. Slide 25. I like what the Westminster Standards says here. The Westminster Standards asked a couple questions that I think really help us here. The question is, how does it appear that there is a God? It answers, the very light of nature in man and the works of God declare plainly that there is a God. And Psalm 19.1 backs that up. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Slide 26. Now his word and his spirit only are what sufficiently and effectually reveals Christ unto men for them to be saved. In Matthew 13, 11, Jesus says this. This is incredible text here. Jesus is speaking here. To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. 
I'm not going to take a whole time here to get into uh, election, but you can read the text. It's pretty plain. To you it's been granted. To you it has not been granted. Jesus, talking to Simon Barjona, says, Simon, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father in heaven, he's the one that revealed it to you. And then in slide 27, another question from the Westminster Standard. What use is there of the moral law to unsaved men? Well, the moral law is of use to unsaved men to awaken their consciences to flee from the wrath to come, to drive them to Christ or inexcusable and under the curse. That's important. Slide 28, 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Again, I want to bring this out. I want you to see this. I know it's a little dry, but I want you to try to track with me here. Paul writing to Timothy says, realizing the fact the law is not made for the righteous person. Remember, the law can't save you. The law doesn't make you right with God. But for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, and immoral men, and homosexuals, and kidnappers, and liars, and perjurers, and whatever else is, what does it say now? Contrary to sound teaching. I'm going to get some hate mail on that one, Dr. Carter. Preaching what the text says, church. And then, I'm almost done. I have 16 more pages to go. No, I'm kidding. Slide 29. So what use is the law for you and I? Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be made right by faith. Faith is how all of that grace of God comes to you and me. So the judgment of God is something that is innate in human nature. God placed it there in each person. Church, this is one of the reasons then as to why we are without excuse. The scriptures have taught us that God has given each person this knowledge eternally as well as externally. And then Romans 1.20, and we're going to finish up there. We've got a couple minutes. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made so that we're without excuse. I asked the question earlier, how can we see what's invisible? How has God given us a knowledge of himself? And as we've read, we've looked at the text. We've looked at Psalm 147 and 8, slide 31. I love David's writing here. Who covers the earth with clouds? The Big Bang Theory didn't do that. Who provides rain for the earth? Who makes grass to grow on the mountains? He gives to the beast its food, to the young ravens which cry. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not take pleasure in the legs of man. Slide 32. He sends forth his command to the earth, 
His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool, scatters the frost like ashes. He casts forth his ice as fragments. Who can stand before his cold? I hope that's resonating in you like it is with me right now. He sends forth his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters to flow. Church, there's the text. Does that resonate with you as you're reading it this morning? God has revealed himself to all of us in the handiwork of his creation. And God did not run to Lowe's or Home Depot. God spoke the world and everything we just read there into existence. Ex nihilio. He spoke it into existence, church. We got a powerful God. I keep laughing 20, 30 years ago, Shirley McLean in her movie, standing on a mountain going, I am God. I am God. And I'm sitting there thinking God's going, okay. <laughs> Consider the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the countless animals are clear manifestations of the handiwork of an incredibly awesome, powerful God. How about the human eye? It's delicate, balanced. Your, that your eyes just happen with no creative power? No, God created them. How wonderful a gift from God that you are here or watching around the world and you can see, you can hear. God, our creator in his providence, church, he is the one that arranged things as to how he provides for the animals as well as the humans. We are without excuse. The invisible things are clearly seen in his power and his creation, and he ordered it all. How about you this morning? We've covered a lot of material. We've seen how God's righteousness is continually being revealed, how his wrath has been continually revealed. How about you this morning? Where do you stand with holy God? Think about it. Are we authentic believers in Christ? Ask yourself this morning, or is your attachment this morning, and you listening around the world, is your attachment to Jesus just something superficial? Here's another question that I asked at the beginning. I'm closing with this. Do you have an empty testimony, meaning you may know about Jesus, but you don't have that intimate, personal relationship with him. Do you show up just to give the appearance of being a genuine follower or disciple of Christ? Or have you gotten really good at just blending in well with church? Understand this. Coming to any church is not going to get you to heaven. Blending in well is not going to get you to heaven. This is sobering truth that I'm giving to you. There's one fact that you all know, and you listening around the world right now know. Someday you are going to die. Someday you are going to draw your last breath, and you're not coming back. And it is appointed once for a person to die, and then the judgment. You see how God's wrath has been revealed 
and the way the creation is moaning and, the, and all the things that are going on physically and the diseases and pestilence and everything that's happening. God's wrath is being revealed continually against unrighteous behavior. I know this is not a feel-good message, but someday that is going to be you. You're going to drop dead. Ask yourself, what kind of relationship do you have with Jesus Christ? Ask yourself that question. If you were to drop dead this afternoon and you were standing before him and he's looking at you and he asks you, why should I allow you into heaven? What would your answer to that question be? There's only one right answer to that question. Because you and I believe that Jesus died on that cross, taking the punishment that our sins deserved in his own body. All the anger and wrath that my sin produced was now placed on Christ. All the anger and wrath that your sins produced was now placed on Christ. And his perfect life of obedience, he never did anything wrong or sin. God took that perfect life and he placed it on you. So when you drop dead, you are ushered into the kingdom of God, not because we would ever deserve it, but only because the fact of the matter is that Jesus loved you so much that he took the punishment for you. That right there is not the superficial relationship with the Lord. You will never go to church because you tithe or are baptized. You will, or you'll never go to heaven because you tithe or baptized. You will not go to heaven because you came to church. You will not be to heaven because you helped the old lady across the street or you dropped some money in one of those boxes at Wawa for donations. None of those things are bad in themselves, but please understand, your works do not get you into heaven. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and absolutely no other way. Please understand that. Someday I'm going to be dead, and the only reason I will be in heaven is not because I deserve it, but because of what Jesus did for me. How about you? Do you just give an appearance of being a genuine Christian or disciple? Or do you just blend in well? Or do you believe what the Bible teaches? Does your behavior... Here's the thing. If you really love Christ, are you just dating him or do you want a relationship with him? How do you have a relationship with him? Listen to me this morning. Get into the Word. If you want to hear Jesus talk to you, get into the Word. Everything that Jesus would want to say to you, he's already said in his word. If he was sitting right there in that church in bodily form right now, everything he would want to say to you, he said in his word. Here's the thing. When you're at home during the week, at the end of the day, which way do you gravitate? Do you gravitate towards, I just want comfort. I want my blankie. I want to turn on my TV. I want to watch the 3,000th episode of Law and Order and CSI and all the new one. Or, oh, I'm, I'm preaching now, Dr. Carter. Or... Do you have that desire in your heart to say, you know what? Why am I giving God the leftovers of the day? Why am I just saying, here's the leftovers that was in the fridge from the day before? Why is it so hard for us to say, you know what? Those actors on TV didn't die for me. Christ died for me. Why do we find it so difficult to want to enter into that deep, intimate relationship with Christ? Here's the thing. Without him indwelling you, you never will. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. By now, I hope you understand in the word that on your own, you cannot save yourself. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning, very important. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I just sense the Holy Spirit 
wanting me to do this. I want you to think about just the past seven days that you've lived. I want you to ask yourself an honest question. How much of that time did God get? How much time did pleasure get? How much time did your internet or scrolling on Facebook at 7,000 miles an hour or TikTok or Instagram, how much time did the television get? And, and I'm just asking you this question for you to be fair with you and the Lord. This is you and the Lord right now. How much time did Jesus get? How much time did you spend on your knees praying for your unsaved loved ones, praying for your relatives? And again, if you're not saved, none of this is going to make sense to you. It's just going to be dry. I'm wasting your time. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart this morning. Now is the time for you to get right with God. You know that you've sinned. I don't have to tell you what your sins are. I know I have plenty of my own. You and I sin in thoughts, words, deeds, actions, and motives. Every day we even sin in our prayers. But God is the one that gives somebody the faith to believe. And if you were here this morning and you sense the Holy Spirit effectually waking you up and calling you to himself, I'm going to ask you to surrender your life to Christ right now as he has been freely offered to all of you and you around the world in the gospel. I'm going to ask you to place your faith and trust in what Christ has done for you. Faith means that you trust in, rely on Christ and everything he's done for you. I can't make you believe that. Only God the Holy Spirit can wake you up and make you believe that. But you do not know if today will be your last day on earth. Every day we hear of people being shot and killed in Philadelphia. And I promise you, none of them had any clue that that was their last day. I know this is tough, but I passionately want to see every one of you come to a saving knowledge of Christ while there's still time left for you. I do not want to see anybody burning in hell for all eternity because they rejected Christ. And make no mistake about it. Hell is not a place where people are partying, sipping minty juleps on the beach and having a good time and cussing and fooling around. Hell is a place of torment and pain and suffering and agony and flame. That's what the Bible teaches. Don't be fooled by Satan and Hollywood into thinking hell is a cool place to be. Understand, when you die, if you die without Christ, you are there for all eternity. You don't serve a five-year stint and then you're out on the street again. Please understand it, church. Please. If you were here this morning, please. If you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you, maybe you have some sin in your life that you need to surrender and give over to him. Cast all your anxiety and suffering upon him. Literally throw it on him because he can handle it. Because he cares about you. And Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that if there's anybody listening, Lord, that they would surrender their life to you this day. I pray for us here, Lord, that are struggling with different sins in our life, that we will homagaleo, we will confess them to you. Because, Lord, you told us in 1 John 1, 9, if, if, if we confess our sins, then you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to continually cleanse all of us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning that wherever they are in their relationship with you, 
that they would take it seriously. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the